0: Jesus gives us victory. He allows us to be conquerors, but also our own story is powerful and allows us to be overcomers. And my hope today is as we don't sit under a typical sort of sermon like you might usually expect in a church, as you hear their stories and what God has done in their life, I'm believing you're going to be blessed. Your faith is going to be encouraged. The reason that these two are up here is I've got to be honest with you, and you'll know what I mean. There's certain people, you just have a conversation with them, and you leave stirred. You leave with your faith built up. They're not even trying. They're not even preaching. They're not even trying to encourage. I just have conversations with these two, and I'm like, every word that's coming out of your mouth is dripping with faith. Like God has touched your life. He's moved in an amazing way. You have an amazing ability to articulate it. And it just feels wrong that the rest of us wouldn't get to lean in. And so we're going to have a bit of a discussion. We caught up in the week because I know that they have amazing stories. They have amazing things to share. But I wanted to sort of dig all the gold out of them. I'm going to talk the least amount possible here because you've heard enough of me. But we want to hear as much as we can out of these two. I'll just guide the discussion. So we're going to have a chat and I want you to lean in. Um, There's no sermon notes in your app because who knows exactly what's going to be said. Um, But I'm sure if you want to note things down, they've got amazing things to say. So let's start off with a little bit of an introduction. Uh, We have Wade and we have Julie, who we call Jules. Um, Wade, did you watch the rugby?
1: I certainly did.
0: Yep. What did you think of it?
1: It was amazing. Was it? What happened? We won. (laughs) We thrashed
0: them it was good absolutely eh? thrashed yeah which was very pleasing to my heart especially knowing how many beautiful south africans we have in our church it's just amazing i think we've probably got more south african
1: supporters here than we have all blacks yeah i think so it's a bit of a worry isn't
0: it i was in blenheim on friday night speaking at a youth event and as i was hopping on the plane to come back saturday morning like half the plane were like people in blenheim flying up to see the game I thought, that's good, because all I've heard from the South Africans is it's gonna be painted green. Um, so I don't know what it actually looked like when you were there, but no, that's awesome, who cares? So, Wade, <laughs> um, why don't you give us a little bit of a brief background on who you are, what you've done for work for most of your life, what have those different seasons looked like, and what does your family makeup look like? Cool. Right, I was
1: um, brought up in the Manotu area, not far from Ohaki Air Force Base. Uh, became a Christian when I was nine. And I was brought up within the Open Brethren Church, which those of you who don't know, it's probably more like a Baptist-type um, conservative evangelical. And um, Luke Bro was originally Open Brethren, so he's the founder of our, our movement. So um, very much brought up in the foundation of the Word. Right through um, my young years as a teenager, I um, have always been involved in church leadership, whether it be youth uh, work or as an elder or a, um, a number two. I was always good at being a, a really good supporter. I got married when I was 19, and I've been married for 48 years, um, and with two children, uh, Glenn, who's 45, I think, <laughs> and Amanda, who, who's not here today, she's at a, um, um, an expo thing, she's forty. Three, I probably wouldn't want to tell you that, but <laughs> both the love the Lord. Um, and right from my early days, I became uh, an aircraft engineer as an aircraft apprentice, came out of my apprenticeship as a licensed aircraft engineer and then learnt to fly, um, had my own aeroplane, which was an amazing provision in itself. And so for the last 50 years, I've been a pilot and aircraft engineer. And here we That's are That's amazing. Today. So what I'm hearing is you had a private jet no. no. <laughs> that was, you had to fly yourself. It was a two-seater, <laughs> yeah, Cessna 150, and Isaac, is Isaac here?
0: Isaac's boss bought the aeroplane just uh, a year or so ago. Amazing. That yeah. was pretty general, though. There might have been a few Isaacs here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. The Isaac knows who, who it is, yeah. Yeah, that's um, Elvin's son. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, and Jules, let us know a little bit about yourself.
2: Um, I was brought up in the Kuniite church. So it's kind of like exclusive brethren, but stricter. It's almost like Gloria Vale. So we were brought up. Um, having She's long hair. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we had to have long hair. We were never allowed to cut it. We weren't allowed to show any skin. We had to have our dress down to our ankles. We weren't allowed to mix with anyone outside of the church because they were worldly. And the belief was that we were the straight and narrow path that they talk of in the Bible. And so we were the only correct religion and everyone else was going to hell. So it was a very hell-focused um, religion. It was all fire and brimstone. We feared God because we were constantly taught that we were going to stand before him and be judged for how good or bad we were. So there was not a lot of mercy and grace in it. Um, but one beautiful thing that came out of it was that we had to learn um, memory verses. So we learned large chunks of the Bible to heart and like that has served me well right through my entire life. Um, I left that church, I was actually shunned from the church because I started to work on a farm and that is not a godly profession to be as a female. So um, I decided that I wasn't going to go to church, that I would just do church in the paddock with the sheep and I'd be fine because I had God and although I was scared of him every time there was a lightning storm I was like he's going to strike me down because I left church. (laughs) So I was like really really fearful of who God was Um, and I went through many years of farming just trying to do church in isolation and it doesn't work so um
0: jules i'll I'll just stop you there because we're going to get more into that in a few moments and i I just i want us to sort of couple it together because your story is absolutely phenomenal and i want us to sort of hear it in one go before we get to that do you just want to let us know sort of over the course of your life what you've been involved in has there been different areas of work did some bible college and what the makeup of your family looks like
2: so um, I went from farming into a church and eventually went to a church in Oropuke, um a little tiny coastal town right down in the bottom of the New Zealand, um, and then went to Bible college through Vision and Laidlaw College, and ended up working with um, small children, doing children's church, similar to what I do now because I have a passion for teaching children scripture. Because I started to realise by this stage how valuable that scripture in my heart was, Um, I got married and I had my oldest son who's now 21 and then I was pregnant with um, Malachi um, who's down the back taking photos of me. (laughs) Um, And it was um, really severe domestic violence. So um, I had gone into this domestic violence because I was very, very broken. I had looked for the wrong things in people because in conjunction with me growing up in this very strict religion, um, we also had six older brothers and sisters who had been shunned from the church, and we would be allowed to go and visit them, but they were very, very, they had gone into gangs and alcohol and drugs and things. And while we were in their care on many occasions, um, my sister and I were both sexually abused, and we were basically sold between groups of their friends. And so for 10 years i had these two parallel lives that, that i was living i had to be one person with the church that i was being brought up an entirely different person so it was um, quite difficult to be me because i had to continually lie to cover what was happening but i was hearing from a god that was very judgmental and so my identity really took a massive hit when i was in my marriage um, it was quite severe domestic violence Um, And there was one occasion when I was hiding under the stairs, I was pregnant with Malachi and I had my older son, he was about a year old, and he was crying and I was trying to stop him from crying so that my husband couldn't find me. And I remember the, um, the power box was behind me and if I pulled the power box switch, it was for the cow shed and the alarms would go off in the cow shed which would alert seven staff members that the milk vats had been turned off and that the milk wasn't cooling, and they would come to the house, and that help would come. So I pulled the switch to cut all the lights. It also cut the house lights. And I um, remember looking under the door, so confused and checking that this fuse box was turned off, and it was, but there was light coming under the door. Um, and I could, could never quite work it out until 15 years later, when I was going through Christian counselling and healing, and um, God revealed to me that there was an angel outside the door and he had placed an angel there, so I heard my husband going backwards and forwards, but he could, couldn't could hear my child crying, um, and he couldn't couldn't find us, so like there's many occasions when God has been there, at the time I had no idea that he was there, even with my childhood abuse, um, he's taken me back and showed me where he was in that situation, and believe it or not, he was there, I went through Christian counselling at And what happens when you're being abused is you disassociate. So it's called disassociation, is what the counsellor's view of it is, where you concentrate on the curtain or um, the way the wind is moving, and that's all you can remember, you block out the abuse. Um, But what God revealed to me when we went back and visited that abuse, and he took me through every single event, was he was actually standing there and he turned my head so that all I could do was look at him. And that that was my focus and none of that stuff that was happening could truly enter so he was even with me in those places
0: amazing you you said at the start you know you came out of this I forget the name of it this church that you likened, kind of like to glory veil very strict very fire and brimstone you when we were chatting you explained how you just built this fear of god and you're just scared at all times to not perform not be good enough not do well enough for this angry god And you explained how the one good thing that came out of it was the memory verses, right? Like there was something there that the seeds were being planted in your heart. And in the scenario when you're hiding with your son and your abusive husband isn't hearing you you're walking past, we're hearing now that's an angel sort of providing some protection there. But there's been other scenarios where in those moments, God has quickened those verses to you. Do you want to share some of that and sort of how that gave you strength in those moments?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, So like, there was different um, occasions when I was really, really fearful, when I was hiding from my husband, and I would hear the words very, very clearly, um, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. And um, I didn't have to remember it, it just sparked up and come into my mind. So it was the only thing that I could actually think. There are many times when I think, I can't do this anymore. I was just on my knees crying and asking God to help me. And all I could hear was, you can do all things through me who strengthens you. So there was many occasions when he would just step in. And when I went through Bible college, he also showed me who he truly was. That he was a father that was full of mercy and grace for me. That he loved me beyond any words that could possibly explain it. And that um, I wasn't going to be judged when I stood before him. That Jesus had already taken that sin on himself. And that God only looked at me through eyes of absolute love and adoration. The same way that we look at our children. Um, the other thing was he showed me a very clear picture of Father, Son and Holy Spirit like who God is that he's not just this big God in the sky that's judging that he's Father, Son and Holy Spirit who are living in a community of love they're all diverse in their roles but they're also in complete and absolute unity so they're three but they're one and they're living in this community of love we are made in his image so we are made for community that's why church and isolation didn't work for me and we are designed to love one another and to work together and be in church. And that's where my love and my passion for the church come in.
0: Amazing. And you're saying how it's when you went to Bible college that you started to truly learn that value of doing church and community. You so you're out on the farm and you thought I could just do church out on the farm by myself. But when you went to Bible college, you learned and I guess had a revelation of that value of doing it in community. And then the healing process began to start. And you shared some really cool thoughts on healing and how it comes in different stages and different waves. Do you want to sort of share, obviously you've been through a crazy amount and there's still even more than than what you've shared so far and yet you're experiencing healing now but you've been through a whole lot of different stages of healing. What does that look like and what insight can you give us into that?
2: Um, I've I've never um, pursued healing. Um, I found that when I pursued Jesus, when I pursued a relationship with God, when I pushed into Him and I learned more about Him and learnt my, more about who I am to Him, that healing was like a byproduct of that. Um, that my vision was cleared, that the, this blindness of who He truly was was lifted, um, and I learnt a real compassion outside of myself. Um, definitely, being on the farm and preaching to the sheep. I didn't find a lot of value in that, <laughs> um, but after going through Bible college and being able to walk into women's refuges and um, into the mental health unit where women have been abused or children have been abused and being able to share my story and bring them to the hope that Jesus offers, um, I could see everything going full circle. And again, when I would stand up and do that, another level of healing would come. Eventually, I walked into the Invocago and Christchurch men's prisons um, and shared my story it was a bit of a shock when god said now you're going to speak to the perpetrators <laughs> there was definitely a few arguments <laughs> um, but he won and i walked into the prisons and like being able to talk to the men that do these things to children and to their wives and realizing they have no understanding of exactly what they're doing um, they are so broken and have such a warped view of the world because of their own upbringings they have no idea um, actually what it feels like to be that woman or to be that little girl. So to be able to open their eyes with the hope of Jesus and to take them to a place of a healing, that's actually the best thing that I can actually do for children and women. That if I can change one man and lead him to God um, and into the true identity that God had for him, then that's a huge win. So like he took ashes and he turned them into something beautiful. Um, he took what the world meant for evil with my life, and he turned them into good. If I could go back today and change my childhood or what I had to go through, um, I wouldn't change a thing because I wouldn't be the tool that God can use today
0: it's amazing. most of us in the room would have no idea how difficult it would be to go and minister to the very people that you know not that person but the very type of people that have done those sorts of things and there's just no way you can do that in your own strength it's absolutely the inexplainable mercy of god for you to have experienced that yourself journey through it to a place where you can go in and look beyond what they've done to the brokenness of the person and speak the hope and life of Jesus. I just think that is phenomenal. And I honor you for that. I'm um, I'm sure it's still not easy, but God leads you in there and you're doing an amazing work. Um, there's some other challenges you've been through. And we're not here to highlight the challenge. It's just that in our weaknesses, strength is made perfect. Um, there's all that, that you went through in, in, in growing up and then... Kids came along and um, your amazing son Malachi, um, who's here taking photos of you, probably going to end up on Instagram or something, um,
2: Yeah, um, he had
0: some challenges.
2: Malachi has um, some medical conditions that have been a bit of a battle through our lives. So we've lived in and out of hospital with him, he's had 33 brain and stomach and spinal surgeries and we've basically fought for his life right through his life. So at one stage he went into a major brain surgery and eight hours into the surgery, um, some doctors come out of the surgical room and said we are so sorry, but we've, we've lost him. And I remember um, hearing wolves howling in the corridors and I couldn't work out why these wolves were howling in the hospital and it was distracting me from being able to think or pray. Um, And then I realised as I went down on my knees and caught myself on my knees that the howling was actually me. And I remember um, saying to God, I'd had a dream the night before that I'd had handed my little boy over a creek of water and put him into Jesus' hands. And I remember that dream as I was on my knees and I said to God, if you need to take him, then you need to give me the strength to get through this. And you need to give his older brother a strength and to understand why you've taken him. But if you give him back to me, I'll raise him for you. And within 15 seconds of that prayer, another doctor came bowling through the doors and said, we've got him back. And everybody ran back in and he's been through many surgeries since then. And we've made sure that we have made God the ultimate um, controller of every one of those situations and giving up control, absolute control, um, I, I was given the biggest blessing you can ever imagine and I've learned in my life that any situation that I'm going through, if I try and hold on to control of it, if I try and do it in my strength, um, it just doesn't really pan out too good, but if I give it to God, um, then there's abundance of blessing that comes out of it
0: incredible you shared as we we chatted the other day how despite all that you've been through you've well i'm i don't want to jump the gun and say you've never wavered but you've always remained sure in god's purpose and call on your life how have you navigated that in that revelation you shared something amazing about how the purpose on our life never changes despite what we go through what have you learned in that
2: um, just in like experiences that I've been through and the people that I've worked with or the men that I've worked with in the prisons, I've realised that the plan and purpose that God's got for our life is the, as before we were even born, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Whatever path we've taken, whatever experiences that we go through in life, every one of us has a plan and purpose for our life. Now some of us are brought up in a, in a beautiful church setting and we just kind of go straight to that plan and purpose. It's all like straight to God. (laughs) Um, But some of us are like go through different experiences in our life and we take this really wonky donkey sort of a route. Um, The person that takes the wonky donkey route and goes through a lot and the person that goes straight there both end up in the same situation. They still have to cross the bridge that Jesus made to be able to get to God. And we do need to cross that bridge to be able to step into the plan and purpose that He has for our lives. So it doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter what we go through. The plan and purpose is exactly the same. God doesn't look at things we go through and go, oh, can't do that with her anymore. (laughs) Um, He just goes, yeah, we can still do this. And I think he builds that strength into us that we can, that we can rise above it because we've got him.
0: Isn't that incredible? That someone who's been through what she's been through can just sit in so confidently and so peacefully just declare the goodness of God. I think you are an amazing inspiration. Jules, if, if you don't mind, would you want to give us a little bit of an insight into what you're facing now with, with health challenges? I mean, <laughs> the refining hasn't stopped for you. You're still in the middle of a battle.
2: Yeah, he's definitely refining me. <laughs> um, I have, um, a few years ago, I went through cervical cancer and had to go through chemotherapy as a result. But when we had finished, we had beat it. We completely beat it, um, praise the Lord. But I then um, had a chemotherapy had to continue because I had developed an autoimmune disease. So after that, my system seemed to go a little bit haywire and uh, it would clot my blood, it would fill my lungs with fluid and there was um, bleed internally. So my immune system was trying to pop me off. Talk about love yourself. <laughs> um, and through that, I've had two years of chemotherapy every eight weeks to try and suppress my immune system from popping me off. Um, and just recently, very recently, we found out that there's actually a a little tumour growing on my um, brain stem. And to me, I consider that to be an absolute blessing because now instead of this um, mystery of why my immune system is doing it, um, this permanent future ahead of me of consistent chemotherapy that would never stop, um, I now have an answer. The doctors now have an answer. We now have an exact route to exactly how to fix it. Um, and I like, just like praise God that there's a tumour because now we've got answers <laughs> um, and I completely trust him with that healing. I know the call that he's got on my life. He's shown me things that he wants me to do and I haven't done them yet. So like, I'm just standing on that promise Game. he's not going to change his mind on that.
0: George, you're one of the most faith-filled, hard-working, positive people I've ever met and especially in light of what you've been through, it is phenomenal what have you done to keep your eyes on Jesus in the middle of the fire? Because I'm going to speak for everyone and say it's pretty inspiring that you've been able to do that, but how? how? How could we lean in and get a glimpse of that? How could we leave today feeling a bit more sure about how we might do that if we face challenges?
2: Um, I pursue God with – it's relentless um, – I consistently pursue God. Um, morning, afternoon, night. When I'm on the toilet, that's my prayer closet. How many times a day do we go to the toilet? Imagine if we dedicated every one of those times to prayer. I mean, come on. Well, if it's I, a guy,
0: it's probably once. <laughs> For the ladies, it's 12 times.
2: <laughs> the pregnant woman in the house have great prayer lives. Um, I text myself all through the day, so like if I ever have a negative thought or someone I think someone's got an attitude towards me or something happens that's a bit stink, I'll actually text myself that negativity and when I sit down every night, I'll open my Bible and I'll find the truth, God's truth of that feeling or that negative thought and I'll declare that truth and those promises over my life and over my children um, and we'll just kick that negative thought or that negative thing that someone's spoken over me into touch and tell the enemy exactly who I belong to, and I never waste time in traffic, because that's time alone with God. So like, if you see me talking to myself in traffic, it's just a one-way conversation, because I'm going to make the most of every moment that I've got when I can be alone with him.
0: I love that. On the toilet, I don't waste time in traffic. I always waste time in traffic, but that's a good challenge. Um, And and you mentioned how often you go on walks, and, and I think this is really important for us to hear, and you just have a good old whinge and you tell God off. Can you let us in on that? Because I think it's important that we understand that that's okay.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely okay. We can be absolutely completely real. We don't have to present ourselves to God um, in this religious manner. We don't have to kneel beside our bed and, you know, fold our hands. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm just completely distracted because I was looking at Anna's knees earlier on, and they scuffed, and I was thinking, "That's a praying woman." <laughs> um, what was I talking about?
0: <laughs> uh, We're gonna leave it there, but I just think you—you know—you share just how like it's okay. You walk, and you and oh, you angry yeah. at, God, and you would remind God of His promises. Like we see people in the Bible do that. Like, God, You said... And this is your promise, and I'm standing yeah. on it, and I'm reminding you of it, and I'm petitioning you for this, yeah. and that's okay. To have that wrestle, God's not threatened, he's not upset at us when we go before him and go, I don't get it, I'm angry, God come through, you said you would. That's totally okay. Yeah. Final thing, um, Jules, you are currently a second year intern, um, you are a real Blessing to us, before you arrived here, I heard from a few people, they're like, oh, Jules wants to come to Papakura, she's amazing. I remember hearing that going, okay, cool, like an amazing person, like, we've got lots of amazing people, like, that's cool. I had no idea how amazing you were. And you lead our TOTS program, our one and two year olds, one and walking in two year olds. And um, just as someone that has their kid in that program, I'm just so blessed to know that someone like yourself is leading him and all the others and Just one thing you shared about the value of memory verses, because you take great joy in teaching kids that because it's been so foundational in your life.
2: Yeah, um, it's my passion to teach children memory verses. Um, My children know this well. Um, but being in tots even though they can't recite the memory verse they're too little to be able to do that and um, we declare those memory verses over them we have them on the wall we speak them over them we'll talk about them and we'll read about them we'll sing about them and I do believe it is the living word of God just like um, God was able to bring that back to me during those domestic violence times and any struggle that I've had in my life, I know that whatever we can sow into them in the way of this living word into their life, even if it is isn't declaring them over them, that God will spark that alive and, and he'll be faithful in his growing of those verses.
0: Can we just put our hands there and thank Jules for sharing? <laughs> You're amazing. Uh, Wade, we'll, we'll flip over to you and your story. A bit different, but not short of amazing God moments and faith-filled stories. If you've ever had a chat with Wade, you know like he just he sucks you in in a good way. Like He's a brilliant storyteller. He's lived through so much, and he's just always like, beaming with joy and hope and faith, and it just uplifts everyone. Um, I'll jump straight to it, Wade. I want you to share the amazing story that, um, of the, the flight. That, that would be a cool place to start.
1: Of the flight. I just want to say, Jules... That's inspiring. And out of that, you can see how important that relationship with God is, and how He asked us to draw nigh unto Him so He can draw unto us. And that's what you've done, Jules. And through that tough times, He's been able to uphold you. On my Facebook feed the other day, there was a, a guy who was standing there, and he said, God, please speak to me. And then all of a sudden, you see this hand come out of the cloud with the Bible in it. And <laughs> That's what you've been able to do to hide those words in your heart, and it's so so important. and And that's what I've found my journey's been like too. Is that, um, and I'll tell you this story about this this young man who many years ago I was flying from Palmerston North to Auckland in a twin engine airplane. I, I dropped my passengers off, and air traffic controller asked us to tune into the the emergency frequency because there was a beacon going off somewhere. So I tuned into it and while I heard this beacon faintly in the distance, this voice came up, mayday, 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 I'm lost, I don't know where I am, can somebody help me? And the air traffic controllers heard this as well and, and um, I said to them, well look, um, I'm, I think I'm in the area that he is, um, do you want me to go and find him? And they said, yes, we don't have him on radar. And so I just quickly talked to him. He was a young guy who had just got his private licence. was approaching dark. He was lost. He was flying from Taupo, to, from Rotorua to Taupo. And he'd, he'd got lost, lost his way, and it was dark. And he was running out of fuel. And um, he was from the South Island, so he hadn't flown. So I just asked him a few questions. Where are you? Or, you know, where, uh, what can you see? And he said he could see a smelter, which could have been... Tokaroa or Kinleith or Wairaki and I said did he have an ADF on board he said yes but I don't know how to use it so anyway just got him to head in one direction and tune in the frequency towards Taupo and then went in towards um, Hamilton to see where it was pointing and the needles pointed in the opposite direction which showed he was in a line between Taupo and um, Hamilton and so I got him to put the um, Hamilton beacon on his nose and fly towards it. And I flew in the opposite direction with my lights off, came round behind him, turned my lights on and said, follow me. And so we flew overhead um, Hamilton and there was no lights there. In those days you couldn't automatically put them on so I'd already got air traffic control um, to to because the tower was off and there was some fire engine guys there who put it on. And just as we got overhead... The lights came on, and he was almost out of fuel. And I said, have you landed before? And he says, no, I haven't. Uh, well, he has landed before, but not at night, and it's a, it's a different thing to land at night. So anyway, I quickly landed and talked him down, and he landed, didn't have much fuel left, and he thanked me very much, and, and away we went. I left him there and flew back to Auckland. Ten years later, I'm fearing an aeroplane from... Australia to New Zealand. It's a single-engine airplane. Um, it was from Albury and um, sort of New South Wales, Victoria coast. Flew t- to Sydney. Had to stop there to, to fix the navigations. it got to Lord Howe Island, which was the first stop, and that's halfway between sort of Australia and, and New Zealand and Norfolk Island. About four hundred people, a very small airstrip, and um, it's where you know I'd refuel for the next stage of the journey. No lights there at um, Lord Howe Island. So I arrive about an hour before dark, getting a ride to my accommodation, and I hear this twin-engine aeroplane fly overhead. And I thought, man, they're pushing it. Um, There's no lights here, and it was an hour after dark. But amazingly, the RAAF were there in a Hercules, and they'd put out emergency lights so they could do some training. So I'm sitting down having something to eat, and in walks these two young men, and I recognise the guy as the guy who I had helped 10 years ago um, land his aeroplane at night. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Here he is, 10 years later, still doing the same thing. <laughs> and I remember saying to him, because I just addressed his name, and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Wade Rowe. And he went white as a sheet. What are the chances of that happening, that 10 years later, the very guy that came to his aid was there to remind him of what? And anyway, to cut a long story short, um, the radio had broken down, I ended up, they ended up staying with me because there was no other accommodation, and the next day I um, used helped them with their radio work to get to Auckland. But the thing that that really spoke to me and and God reminded me of this in my own life is that God never lets us go as I was that guy 's savior if you like by talking him down and then again ten years later reminding him that you know he needs to adjust something in his life otherwise this is going on and this guy is a senior pilot in New New Zealand at this time and you know very good pilot so he 's He's learned his lesson, but God spoke to me and said, that's how I am with you. And it came to a stage in my own life where I was involved in in church leadership. Something happened in the church. I took a stand, and it was the most, the obvious thing for me to do was to step aside from leadership, step away from the church, that particular church, and so everything could run smoothly. But out of it, um came a rejection for me and you know I spent the next 20 years out of fellowship and I mean it's hard when you're an airline pilot you know you're flying around the place you hardly ever get a weekend at home but I spent the next 20 years um, not I didn't lose my faith or anything like that but I stepped out of fellowship and then four years ago I came here and God had called me back and no matter where I went in that 20 years, um, I was in Nandy, I'd hop on a bus and go into town. I'd just be sitting next to a pastor of the local church. I'd walk in somewhere and there'd be a Bible verse. I'm sitting in a cafe on the Hamilton Street because we used to fly into Hamilton from Brisbane when I was with Virgin Australia. And, a, and an old man brings a, a tract up to me and hands it to me. And no matter where I went, I couldn't escape from God because he loved me. He wanted me back. And I remember standing here over there uh, four years ago, and we sang the song "The Blessing." And I looked over at you, young guys here, the the power team, which I call them all of you young guys. You're absolutely amazing. And I just started to weep. And I really felt God say to me, "I want you to encourage them." And I just knew I had a calling from God. And so I could see so much potential that is in here. Some amazing young men and women of God and and they need um, us older ones to get alongside them with the wisdom that we have from years gone by to encourage and pray and walk alongside. And so the next step is how do I do that? So I did Growth Track and there was nothing there that fitted this mentoring thing. So I said to Anna, I wrote mentoring in with a question mark. And so I... um. Somehow Anna and I got together and said, OK, Anna, how are we going to make this work? Or do you want this to work? Yep, I'm on to it. She said, I've got four guys straight away that, um, that, um, that you can start with. And so she just reeled them off. One was Paul and, and Brad and um, Nathan and Indy. And so we started meeting with them. And out of that um, began the mentoring thing that I've been able to do and encourage and it's been amazing for me because it's just because I know in the centre of God's will it's the happiest and safest place to be yeah so that's a little bit of the story but we've seen some amazing things happen and um, and if, if you talk about mentoring it's um it's very easy to over spiritual about it but you know there's two things I do get them to write a list down two lists the first list is what are the jobs I need to do at home when can I have them finished by? And, and um, we agree to it happening. So how spiritual is that, eh? And it's just amazing how the guys reacted and were able to get those done. And the second thing was I'd get them to write a list down of the things that they're struggling with in their life. And we would get together and we would nail those things, pray into them, um, talk about them, and... Yeah, that's it's been amazing
0: Junie. Yeah, amazing. We'll jump around a bit here because um, we've arrived there and that's really cool. So the one thing I have identified with Wade and have observed in him is he has a really beautifully healthy balance between things in life being spiritual and also not spiritual at all. Um, a lot of times we get that balance quite wrong. We can be a bit over-spiritual about everything. Other times we're too far the other way and we don't want to enter into the things of the spirit. We just want to take matters into our own hands. And I think you've, You've developed that really well. Um, what's the starting point here for you? How do you get that balance? And what would you say to encourage us in getting that right? I think it's, you just got to be real. You know,
1: Jesus gave us a sense of humor. God gave us a sense of humor. I don't see where else it would ever come from. And so, you know, we, we need to be able to laugh. We need to be able to cry. We need to be able to have fun. We need to be able to watch rugby. We need to be able to uh, fly aeroplanes. I was laughing. Some yeah. were crying. That was one of those yeah. moments. That's right. But God has an amazing sense of humour. Otherwise, you know, look at us. You know, I mean, we're so different. But yeah, just to be real, I think. And um, yeah, it, it is. I mean, there's a definite line between what's spiritual and what's not. And and, you know, if a guy says, oh, I'm having trouble getting up in the morning, it must be something spiritual, I say, just turn your alarm on or wake up and get on with it. <laughs> you know, be, be the man that God's called you to be. Lead your wife. And you don't need to lead by words. You lead by deeds. And, and part of that is by, you know, doing the jobs around home that she's been asking you to do for so long. And there's no nicer thing that you can do for your wife than to tick off all those lists of things that she's been asking you to do. Men, lead. Lead by example. The ladies are amening. Exactly. I'm not an
0: expert, but I'd say if there was something worth taking notes on, it might be this. (laughs) There's one thing you can take away from today, do the jobs.
1: And and it's amazing the difference it makes because it shows that we care. And it's taken me 50 years of marriage to realize this. (laughs) And I'm finally getting there. Like My wife's alarm clock um, gave trouble. And, you know, I'd say, oh, yeah, I'll fix that. I'll see if I can fix it. But now I, right, give me that thing in the rubbish, straight down to Briscoes, come back. Five minutes later, there it is, a nice new one, yep. done. Way easier than fixing it. Eh? Yeah, just, just buy a new one, way easier. Just buy a new one, yeah. yeah just get. <laughs> I couldn't fix it, but, you know, get it done, do it now, and show them that you love them by your actions. Yeah, Awesome. And,
0: very cool. Um, you meet with a lot of guys, and obviously you work with them on, on both sides of this, right? There's things in the spirit that they need to deal with, some deliverance. You, you lead them in some of that prayer ministry. It's really powerful. Yep. And then there's make a list of jobs you need to do and get it done in your house. Why are both of those really important? And what would you—because you've obviously been talking about this with the the many guys that you meet with, but there's many in the room that haven't met with you, Um don't all rush at once, but there's only one man. But what would you say to encourage those who haven't met with you yet? And you haven't had a chance to explain that.
1: Right. I would, I would say don't put up with crap in your lives that you've been struggling with for years. Because God is a God of freedom. He sent Jesus to, on the cross to save us. And so there's three or four things. A lot of men have not had a a, a, father role, a good father role model in their lives. You changed that in one generation, Frosty. You never had a, a, a good father or mother role model, but in one generation, you changed that around. So it can be done real easily. Um, two is rejection. We allow rejection to hold us back, and it can be through um, childhood, through um, you know just the way we're treated, through bullying at school. We've allowed rejection to come in our lives, and it affects how we relate to others. It affects how we relate to God. And the other is being able to overcome struggles in our lives. And that's one of the areas that in particular where we've had so much success is praying with young and older men. There's some older men here too who we've sat down and had a good dust up, you know, dealt with stuff. If in doubt, cast it out. That's what I say. And then if you get rid of the spiritual, you can then concentrate on the flesh. And there's all sorts of stuff. And um, But... You know, and and, and listen, I have been through it myself. Um, you know, I'm standing here as one who has been set free from things in, in life. But, you know, Jesus came that we might have life and might have it abundantly. And so that's that's what I could say. Don't put up with it. Wipe the slate clean. Write it all down and then sit down. We deal with it. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, but at least
0: it's progress. Yeah. You You alluded to you're saying you're someone that's come through and you found healing with rejection and that was something that you had to sort of journey through with perhaps in that 20-year period of being away from fellowship and community yeah. and let's just spend a couple minutes there. We, we'll just go a few minutes over the service, but I think this is so valuable. Why is rejection such a massive thing in our lives and how do we overcome it? What does it do to a person? It... Probably would be,
1: in my opinion, one of the most debilitating things that we as Christians deal with, and because there's so many times in our lives where we've, you know, had rejection, and somehow the enemy has been able to get in, and it's like he then magnifies everything. If you're suffering from rejection, people will talk to you, and you'll, in your mind, you'll twist it around and think, oh, they don't like me, or this, and I don't. Know if, you know, I see a few heads nodding, and it's the same, you second-guess yourself, and it's like you're not worthy. It's like the enemy makes us not worthy, and yet God chose us. He knows the, every hair on our head. He thinks of us more than there are grains of sand. And, you know, you look at um, Jules's life, I mean, how he has integrated all that. He thinks about us every day. Um, I was praying for Anna this is prior to her um her um preaching the other night and, and she was nervous and and I remember praying. I woke up in the night and I just was praying. And these words just kept going over and over and over in my in my mind. And it was Joshua one night, you know. Um, haven't I, I commanded you um be strong and courageous, don't be afraid, because I'm with you wherever I go. And I wrote it down the next day and texted it to her, and she came back and said, Wade, they are my favourite verses. So no God wanted to encourage Anna. So of all the verses in the Bible, and it wasn't me, it was just the Holy Spirit reminding me and then me texting. Of all the verses in the Bible, that he should give that to her to encourage her. So rejection, um, we need to encourage one another. That leads to fear of rejection. We start to fear what, what it is, and then we start to reject ourselves. And when that's the slippery slope, because we don't feel that we're good for anything and can do it. Um, somebody else might do, so we become less effective for God. And the way that we can get out of that is through personal relationship with Jesus. And that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I know that's jewels in my journey, eh? Because I have grown to love God more so in the last four years than I have ever before. And things in my life have changed that I never would have thought possible. Victory over sin, um, wanting to meet with God, um, trying to hear his voice and realising that he's speaking to us all the time. Um, story, um, Brad... And I, we, we were walking through some work issues that he was having and whether he needed to get a new job or not. And he was on his way home from work and he was talking to Nicole on the phone. And Nicole, as wise as she is, she said, you need to talk to Wade. <laughs> and I'm driving home in my car as well and I think I should give, I think I'll give Brad a call. I give Brad a call just as she had finished you need to talk to Wade. <laughs> and the phone goes and he says, oh, hang on, I've got to go, it's Wade. So, you know, that's how interested God is, and you and I, every one of us, that he is interested in those details. Brad needs to talk to me, Wait, you ring him, and I didn't even think anything of it. It's just that walk with God, you hear his voice, um, he uses scripture, he, it's amazing. It's just amazing to
0: experience that. It's awesome. I think it's such an encouragement to all of us. you like, do I hear from God? How am I going to be used by God? It's just following those nudges. Even if you're not sure it's God, it's, if it's encouraging, if it's uplifting, and you realize that rejection, like often we need a move of God. We need a fresh revelation on who we are, that we're chosen, that we're loved by Him. But also as a body, we can aid in that process too. We can encourage one another, yep. remind them that they matter. And just the fact like... But I'm sure the phone conversation was valuable. I'm sure it was. But probably the outrageous timing was the most valuable part. The obedience and the lining up just to go, oh, God, you're in this, was probably the most encouraging part of it all.
1: Yeah. You You know, the best thing that we can do as Christians is have an attitude of gratitude. And firstly towards God, because he loves us. He created us to have fellowship with him. And when we reach out to him, thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Lord, for your love for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I was uh, on the way to work the other day listening to that Lauren Daigle song. Um, oh, the one that um, talks about uh, what what have I done to deserve love like this. And I just, I just broke down and wept all the way to, to work. I just cried because you know, I've done nothing to deserve this, Lord, but you have loved me so much. And part of, out of that comes the gratitude and thanking him, thanking him. Um, thanking your parents, thanking your mum and dad for what they've done for you, thanking your friends, thanking God. And out of that gratitude, you take the focus off yourself and God just wants to bless his kids. He loves to bless his kids. That story of you, um, Going into the prison, and then 14 years later, that man um, sheltering you across the road, and, and um, that, that Darcy talked about—that was one of the most inspiring messages I've heard. Darcy, not only that story, but how God met your need at a time when you were, you know, you were struggling. That He would give you a tongue that was just amazing. So, God is amazing, and He just wants us to press into Him
0: very good um i'll have one final question for you um actually if you want to join us on keys that'd be awesome um wade as someone that's been involved in church leadership for many years there's obviously that season out but you've been around the block of church ministry a few times You've, you've seen a lot of it happen and where you're at now i just love hearing that in the last four years you're more on fire for god than you've ever been and what an encouragement to people of any age You know, just because you get old doesn't mean you need to wind down, but rather you're just building back up. And I actually believe your greatest ministry days are ahead of you. You've seen a lot, but what excites you the most right now for what is happening in the body of Christ, both, I guess, in our church locally, but also just as you look across the church, what excites you the most? Servant
1: leadership. Um, Jesus is the greatest servant of all. We see churches that build themselves up in pride, and they've got this, that, but servanthood is the thing. And you know, as I look around here, um, Anna, you talked about 200 people involved in this church in the Dream Team. That's servanthood. I look at um, Frosty and Darcy's ministry and all the other pastors, there's just... And a whole attitude of servanthood. Going to the parcel delivery, you know, the Christmas parcel, and seeing these guys with their hats getting on and digging in and putting parcels in people's cars. That's leadership. It's not pride. So to me, it's it's the servanthood of, of, of God, and that will lead us, lead people to Jesus. There's four things I look for in a church. One is, is the word being preached? We hear it preached every Sunday here. Are people getting saved? Yes, they're getting saved. Is there a missions focus? Mission Sunday. You know, is there fruit? All of those things are happening. And so to me, I'm in a wonderful place. And it's a pleasure to be working amongst such long la, uh, like-minded people. So servanthood to me is, is the key, Frosty. And I've seen that here. And that's why I love being here.
0: Amazing. Well, Darcy and I and everyone else that's been so blessed by you and your ministry want to say thank you. Um, You felt like God say that your call in the season is to come and support. We feel very supported. You and others like you truly allow us to do what we do. And every one of us plays an equally significant part in the team. And uh, yeah, we're just four years old and God's bringing people and people getting saved and there's fruit and there's exciting things going on. Um, But I just honor you for being willing to raise your voice when you've gone through growth track and being really feeling called to do a certain thing and saying hey it's a little bit out of the mold but can we make this happen and we're like yeah, we just want to release people to do what God has called them to do. Obviously there's a specific lane that God's called us to run in as a church. And if it fits within that, like absolutely. And you've just been phenomenal at that. You haven't needed us to give you anything. You've just gone for it. You've used what God has given you. And we're seeing not only the guys that you're meeting with blessed, but their whole families. We joked about it a little while ago. There's like the, the Wade row, like, um, fan club. It's all the wives loving what's happening to their husbands. <laughs> um, And I think it's just such a great encouragement for anyone else who would, I won't put an age on it, but you consider yourself one of the older ones. Your role is just as significant. That's right. To do what God has called you to do. And together we are this beautiful, messy thing called the church, serving our community and honouring God. Can we put our hands together and thank Jules and Wade? Amazing.